0: Welcome to the Impact 360 Institute podcast, where our goal is to explore biblical worldview and servant leadership to equip you for everyday influence. Here's your host, author and director of cultural engagement, Jonathan Morrow. What are three myths about marriage that the next generation needs to understand? Well, I'm excited to share part of a conversation I got to have with Dr. Sean McDowell of Biola University, author of the book, Chasing Love. It's a really fascinating and important conversation around helping the next generation have a God-centered view of healthy relationships and what biblical marriage actually looks like. What is the purpose
1: of marriage? Go. So let me answer this by addressing a question. I recently talked to my students about I went to the whiteboard. I do this all the time and I wrote, does marriage matter to God? These are high school students. Of course they're looking like, of course it does. I said, defend yourself scripturally. They start to notice that the Bible begins with a marriage. The Bible ends with a marriage. Three of the Ten Commandments are tied into natural marriage. Honor your father and mother. Don't commit adultery. Do not covet your neighbor's wife. you know the longest chapter in the Torah, Genesis 24, is about the marriage of Isaac and Rebekah? Jesus talks about marriage. Matthew 5, Matthew 19, Luke 16. And Paul talks about marriage. Clearly, marriage matters to God. Why? Well, marriage is the outlet for sex and procreation. It is the institution that God designed, we see in Genesis, multiply, fill the earth. It is about companionship. It describes how it was not good that Adam was alone and there's a kind of companionship, not the only kind of companionship, there's friendship, but it's about companionship. But Paul says something really unique in Ephesians 5, 31 and 32. He quotes Genesis 2.24: man leaves his father and mother, bonds with his wife, two shall become one flesh. He says, but this is referring to the mystery of Christ and the church. Now that line changes everything. In other words, marriage is about procreation and companionship, but those are kind of earthly things. There is a transcendent vertical purpose of marriage which is to mirror to the world God's love for the church. So of all the metaphors that God could pick to help a world through time understand his love for them, he picks marriage. So you look at the book of Jeremiah, unfaithfulness is described as a kind of adultery. But God is the groom seeking us, the bride. So that. When people think about marriage in this sense, I think it changes everything. So marriage is not about my happiness, although I want to be happy, I want my wife to be happy. It's not about just having a companion, although that's great. My marriage first and foremost is about mirroring to the world and to the church God's love for the church. That changes everything. So I'm not happy in my marriage. I at least recognize there's a higher calling I'm committed to. So, why does this matter for Christians? Number one, we got to get the definition of marriage right. Because if we twist the nature of marriage, we twist who God is revealing Himself to be. And second, we actually have to live faithful marriages. So, that's what marriage is for. Above all else, to show God's faithful, unending love for His people through a husband and wife, who are to love each
0: other, even through their failures. And I love that. And so let's think about, in terms of casting vision, we've talked about casting vision in terms of God's design for sex or God's design for singleness. A youth pastor out there, a parent trying to talk to their young person about this, maybe when marriage is still a ways off. Practically, what are some ways to drop some of those breadcrumbs to cast a little bit of vision or even talk about in a a youth group talk or something like that, that kind of helps move the needle when it comes to understanding the purpose of marriage. The well, first thing a youth pastor needs to do is surround
1: the young people with healthy marriages. Whether it's his or her marriage, if they're single, bring in other couples. Because there's a lot of kids in youth groups who have never seen that incarnated. So they don't know. So it starts with modeling. And second, we've got to teach on this. I don't think I was ever taught that this was the purpose of marriage. If I did, I just missed it, but nobody (laughs) illustrated it to me. And I was talking with my, my students this week. I said, look, when you have a goal in life and it's a bigger goal, you suffer because that goal matters. And I talked to my students who are athletes. I was like, one kid wants to play professional baseball. So you put your body through suffering because you have a bigger vision all, if School matters to you. You put yourself, you suffering, less sleep, exhaustion, because you have a goal that matters. Well, what's the goal that matters? If you want to get married, your choices now matter. Let's talk about how good and how beautiful and wonderful God designed marriage to be. Realistically, cast a vision for them so they can begin to see how
0: their choices they're making now are going to affect them within the future. That's so good. And just like anything, there's myths that develop. Myth number one about marriage, marriage will fulfill your ultimate relational needs. Talk about this one.
1: Throughout a lot of history, nobody would be tempted to believe that. But in more modern times, the last century or so, we have this romantic view of marriage that you find this soulmate. And then once you find that soulmate, love will just sweep you away. Look, I've been married to my high school sweetheart for over two decades. I think my wife is beautiful. I thank the Lord for my wife and don't feel like I deserve her many, many days. But she cannot fulfill my deepest, ultimate relational needs. And I can't fulfill her, hers, for a couple reasons. Number one, we're also to have relationships with other family members and friendship. She has a group of girls around her. They come together and they connect and they just share these mom needs and desires that I can't with her. And that just fills her up. And she's supposed to have that. I love hanging with the boys and playing basketball and chatting and doing guy things. There's something that fills us up having those kind of relationships too. But I think it's also really unhealthy to get married to somebody and expect that person to fulfill all your relational needs. Can you imagine what's gonna happen when that person doesn't fulfill your needs? That expectation is gonna cause so much conflict, so much disillusionment, and the marriage is not gonna work. I actually think there's something about relationships that are beautiful in this life, but like C.S. Lewis said, we yearn for something more. So marriage is one way we can have deep, intimate, needs met one way not the only way but it's not meant to fulfill all of them our deepest relational needs will only be met when sin is gone and we can know God and know other people completely without a mask anymore so marriage is not meant to fulfill all our relational needs you go into a marriage thinking it will and you're going to
0: have a lot of pain and hurt and (laughs) disillusionment and probably failure of your marriage yeah, and that's really important because, you know, our culture loves to proclaim that message, right, that other people are needed. No, it it says the exact opposite, right? The romantic comedy industry, everything else, I mean, you're, you're going to fulfill everything about me. Talk a little bit about the power of, um, just at this point, we could have put it other places too, just the power of entertainment media to shape our imagination when it comes to this, and maybe even wise on what we consume and how we kind of think about How our culture kind of gives us a vision as if somebody could do that for us. Maybe talk practically about that and maybe even how maybe youth pastors or parents can draw on some of that to kind of highlight for their kids along the way and expose that myth. So there's
1: a classic movie now, it's somewhat dated, but I asked my high school students, have you seen this? And they've all still seen The Notebook. At least a lot of the girls have, not the guys. And there's something Beautiful about the story the young couple falling in love and then at the very end staying faithful. But that movie skips the entire middle part where they actually live and would have to sacrifice and develop character to move from this young, passionate, irresponsible couple to this sacrificial couple they are at the end. That doesn't happen by accident. But kids see that and they don't have all the dots filled in and they think, I just find that right person. And they're going to sweep me off my feet. And my parents and all the adults, they don't know. Just follow my emotions and I'll be happily ever after. And that's false and it's damaging. So that's why I'm going to watched that with my kids, but I'll talk about it with them. That message is coming through all the time. On the flip side, one of the other damaging messages, especially in pornography because kids are watching it, It's pornography is not about married couples in love. It's not. It's about a one night stand where there is no relationship. The idea in pornography is that if there was a committed relationship, that would be boring sex. But it's, you know, variety is the spice of life. One night stand is where real thrilling, good sex and relationships happen. That is false and it's damaging. So kids are imbibing that marriage is going to just be the greatest thing ever and there won't be struggle, or they're told marriage is actually antiquated and it's broken and it's boring. Man, both of those are unbiblical and they're false. I think a biblical marriage is like, we're together no matter what. It's going to be tough, but we're going to work through things, and it's when we sacrifice for that that a greater value comes out of it, far beyond our
0: feelings. That's such good insight and perspective. So now we'll look at another common myth. Myth number two about marriage, marriage will get rid of your sin. So I was traveling and speaking a number of years ago.
1: I met a young man who was, went to a Christian school, Christian home, Christian church, the trifecta. And he was popular, funny, great athlete, great personality, just had it all. Gets married to a girl who's beautiful inside and out. And six months or so into the relationship, she discovers that he was looking at porn. Well, of course, that devastates their trust. She thinks it's about her not being beautiful enough, and that's not the issue at all. He was convinced that when he had the real thing, sin would go away. This is a devastating lie. Marriage will not magically rid you of your sin because we bring our character into the marriage. So I tell young people all the time, I go, look, if you can't maintain through the Holy Spirit and accountability and forgiveness, self-control now, you're not gonna magically get self-control when you wake up. You'll still find temptation on the internet. You'll still find temptation from other people. Now, the way you're tempted might change, but if you're not able to develop a healthy character going into marriage, it's not going to magically change. Now, there is one sense where marriage can rid you of your sin in the sense that when you live with somebody that close, this person will see your sin and bring it to the forefront. And I start to realize, I am selfish. I shouldn't say that. So in one sense, marriage will bring it a lot closer and you'll be aware of your sin. It's not going to magically make it go away and people can still hide it in marriage for years. But there is a sense where in marriage where you start to realize my choices affect somebody else. And that's where I have a choice. Okay, am I going to do the right thing? Am I going to grow? Am I going to buckle down in my sin and my pride?
0: That's huge. And so that's a myth that we need to explode and so that people aren't falsely looking for that. Myth number three, married sex is boring. Talk about this one. So there was a famous burger chain commercial a few years ago
1: with Hugh Hefner, founder of Playboy. Standing there, sitting there in his kind of famous red robe. And he, has a, and he says something to the effect of, you know, I live the life that every guy wishes he could live. He says, you know, variety is the spice of life. You see a redhead, you see a blonde, you see a brunette, there's a bite of a steak burger, a bite of a chicken burger, and then it ends. And you watch that and the idea is that the best sex is when it's spontaneous, when there's variety, just like you wouldn't want one burger every night, you wouldn't want sex with the same person every night. How boring is that? Now, first off, I think it's kind of offensive to women to compare them to food and burgers, but you know, I digress. And this is an idea pushed in our culture. Again, variety is the spice of life. What's interesting, and I document this in the book, is that when you ask people to report their sexual satisfaction, it's actually consistently religious people, in particular women, who report the highest levels of sexual satisfaction. Now, why would that be the case? Well, If God is the one who designed sex to be in a committed relationship, then there's a kind of freedom that comes that when you know with somebody, I'm going to stay with you no matter what, I'm not going to compare you with somebody else. There's not going to be any surprise pregnancies here. If there are, we're going to work this through together. STDs are typically out of the equation. There's a kind of freedom that comes to love and be loved with somebody else. In fact, I talk to a lot of people, the older they get, they're like, actually, sex is very different, but it gets better over time because you just know when there's a relationship and a commitment to that person. Now, what I don't want to say that I think in the church and purity culture, we've made that mistake of saying, well, you think sex is good in the world, come to the church and you'll have the best sex. That is the wrong motivation. We should be holy because God is holy. And we also have to be careful to imply that sex outside of marriage is never pleasurable. People enjoy sex outside of marriage. Not always, but sometimes they do. And it's not that every time somebody has sex in marriage, it's necessarily pleasurable. By the way, even the prodigal son, it says he went and lived for a long time and seemed to enjoy himself before he came to his senses. And there was sexuality involved in the way the story is told. So the point is just to say, look... There is a richness that comes from living the way that God designed us to live. And our culture wants to demonize married sex, demonize the Christian position. And my answer is not, well, sex is so much better here. But I'm saying God is the designer of sex. And there's a contentment and a richness and beauty that comes often when we live the way God wants us to live and we honor Him and other people with our bodies.
0: So important that we help spell that out and help students see that clearly so they don't set up these false expectations. So that's why it's so important to deal with these myths head on. For more information about our on-campus worldview and leadership experiences for students and our accessible online courses like Explore Truth and Explore the Resurrection, visit impact360.org. Impact 360 Institute. Know. Be. Live.